we are in Psalm number 58. I guess it's the first time I've ever tried to use this Brittany mic, so you'll have to bear with me. I'll try to get used to that. All right. We are in Psalm number 58, continuing our study of this psalm. Our summary for Psalm 58. Psalm 58 looks forward to God's vindication when he takes vengeance on the wicked and establishes righteousness in the earth. So I'll go over that again. Psalm 58 looks forward to God's vindication when he takes vengeance on the wicked and establishes righteousness in the earth. Simple outline for this psalm will be in two parts, verses one to five, the corruption of the earth, verses six to 11, the judgment of the earth. I'll go over that one more time. Verses one to five, the corruption of the earth, verses six to 11, the judgment of the earth. All right, so we'll go to our observations for Psalm 58. Psalm 58 was written by David. The superscription ascribes it to him, um, to the chief musician, Altashiv, Mictum of David. So it's directed to the chief musician or the choir master there. It is set to the tune of Do Not Destroy, and it is a, a mictum or an engraving uh, like in Psalms 57 and in 59. There's no occasion that is mentioned in the heading of the psalm or in the text of the psalm. But as we are in this David psalm group, um, we know that the betrayal uh, persecution by enemies um, and such are themes in this particular group of psalms. So we started with David being betrayed by Doeg the Edomite in Psalm 52. He was betrayed by the Israelite men of Ziph in Psalm 54. He was betrayed by King Saul in Psalm 55. He was afraid of King Achish and being um, betrayed by him or being taken by him in Psalm 56, and he was afraid of Saul again there in Psalm 57. So as we look at the Psalm, verse one addresses the rulers, those that are perverting their rule upon the earth. And we'll look at verse one a little more when we, um, when we get to it in a few minutes. So in other words, that would certainly fit as an occasion, particularly with um, his complaints against Saul in Psalms 55 and 57 and his um, fleeing from King Achish in Psalm 56. So that would make the occasion to be a destructive abuse of power to afflict the righteous. Psalm 58, it is an imprecatory psalm. Um, there's, uh, it's a prayer for judgment and it depicts that judgment quite graphically. There are also some wisdom elements in this psalm. 
there's a contrast here between the righteous and the wicked, uh, with the righteous portrayed as victims of the wicked, which is pretty common um, in the Psalms and particularly in the Lament Psalms. The, res- the respective end of the righteous and the wicked, um, it shows the, the end of those ways, the righteous coming to reward, the wicked coming to judgment. And this psalm also has elements of a prophetic psalm, a predictive psalm. So it prophesies a great judgment on the earth, um, especially toward the second half or latter part of the psalm. Psalm 58 does have connections to the preceding David psalms, um, Psalms 52 to 57 and particularly with Psalm 57 and Psalm 59 that follows it because they have those um, connection of terms in their headings. There's a continued reference here to the mouths or the words, this this speech of the wicked. Um, There's also a continued theme of exile and the danger of death. Uh, Obviously the heading in Psalm 57, 59 But this psalm also connects with Psalm 1 and 2, which we generally expect when it has wisdom elements in the psalm. Wisdom um, contrasts the righteous and the wicked with the reward for the righteous, the judgment for the wicked, which comes out in both Psalms 1 and 2, as well as in this psalm. So in Psalm 2 in particular, the rebellious uh, or the rebellions of the rulers of the earth is met with judgment from heaven that establishes God's righteous rule on the earth. Psalm 58 has a number of poetic features. So it starts with the poetic apostrophe, um, which we've talked about that some. Does anyone remember what that is? No one. Well, it's it's just a, a poetic device when the writer is addressing someone or something that's not there. So uh, like in common uh, poetry, it oftentimes begins with O, you know, O, I can't think of any examples right now, but I never studied Shakespeare. They probably would come to mind. So he's, he's speaking in verses one and two as if he's addressing these rulers of the earth but they're not actually present. He's not actually talking to that. That's a poetic apostrophe. Anyway, um, so that, that starts off the psalm. The psalm does use quite vivid imagery. In fact, it's very violent and graphic imagery. Um, it's the sort of imagery that causes a lot of people to neglect a psalm like this or to try to soften it in some way. Um, of course, just as a general rule of thumb, um, never apologize for God and never apologize for his word. So it is a it is a violent imagery, but nevertheless, it is what God has given us. The wicked in this psalm are depicted as animals. So you have reference to serpents and lions in verses four to six. We have imagery of water that is sort of running into a like a parched valley and, and being absorbed and essentially disappearing into the ground. Um, a bow with blunted arrows that are not able to um, find their target and bring them down, a snail, a stillborn baby, pots over a fire, a whirlwind, 
and the bathing of feet in blood. So again, some very graphic and violent imagery, um, but quite a bit of imagery in this psalm. All right, so we're going to walk through this psalm. Uh, it has 11 verses, so I'm going to go ahead and read these. Do ye indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do ye judge uprightly, O ye sons of men? Yea, in heart ye work wickedness. Ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as waters which run continually. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as cut in pieces, as a snail which melteth. Let every one of them pass away like the untimely birth of a woman that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked so that a man shall say, verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judgeth in the earth. So verses one and two start this psalm with the address to the wicked rulers. Um, the word for congregation here is the word is a word that means silent. It's the only appearance of it in, uh, in the Hebrew Old Testament. Um, it's thought to be indicating silence to righteousness. In other words, um, judges that are that are being silent when they should speak up for righteousness or to righteousness. So it would be the opposite of speaking righteousness, which we have, for instance, in Psalm 52, 3, the speaking of righteousness. And actually, the, it becomes apparent um, what is being talked about in verse 1 when you get to that word judge, do you judge uprightly? The word uh, for judge obviously gives it that judicial and um, governmental sense so that the rulers of the earth that pervert their judgment so as to be silent toward righteousness. Now, the same word for judge is actually used in Psalm 2 and verse number 10 uh, when there's a warning being given to the kings and to the judges of the earth. So the sons of men in verse number one as well, that is that is uh, in the Hebrew, um, so it is sons of Adam. Um, and this is a frequent allusion when speaking of the realm of the earth, of the earth as a kingdom, as it were. So we've seen this in Psalm 8 and verse number 4. And if you remember uh, that at Psalm number 8, that should um, certainly trigger something in your mind. Psalm 11 and verse 4, Psalm 12 and verse 1, Psalm 14 and verse 2. Um, these references are used typically, they have to do with the realm of the earth and oftentimes in judgment when that God is looking down on um, the sons of men. More recently, we've seen it in Psalm 45 and verse number two. This is when the Messiah is one that's considered fairer than all of the sons of Adam. And then we have it in Psalm 53, verse two, Psalm 57 and verse four as well. So it's, it's, it's a term that's it's used. I wouldn't say it's used extremely frequently, but it's used fairly often 
and it is typically associated with the universal reign of God from heaven and the kingdom of men upon the earth. In verse number two, he speaks of wickedness being worked in the heart. So this refers to the schemes and the plots of the wicked. Um, and then it is manifest in violence through the hands. So you see worked in the heart comes out with violence in the hands. The earth is a realm that is distinguished from heaven. So in other words, um, we know that the earth is the realm in consideration um, because it is uh, you know, men um, that are, are born that execute or um, do evil things and where judgment will come down to meet them. So that talking about that use of that term earth um, there in um, verse number two. So that, that is also used in Psalm 2, for instance, in verses 2, 8, and 10. It, it appears there um, in Psalm 8, again, verses 1 and 9. And again, those, those are two um, very connected psalms to, to Psalm number 58. More recently, uh, the earth being referred to in Psalm 52, 5 and Psalm 57, verses 5 and 11. And here we see earth, actually, this term is used at the beginning of this psalm in verse number 2, and it's used at the end of this psalm in verse number 11. Now, in verses 3 to 5, we have a statement. So verses 1 and 2 is a direct address to these rulers of the earth. Verses 3 to 5 now is not a, a direct address any longer, but now it is a, a statement about the universal wickedness of mankind. So he speaks of being, them being, the wicked being estranged from the womb. Um, to be estranged, the word literally, it, it would mean, it, well, it means to turn aside, um, but it's typically used in the sense of to become like a stranger. Um, it's often, actually a word often used in the Proverbs um, to describe the wicked who don't walk in wisdom such as the strange woman. Actually, that's uh, the same word that is used there to describe her in Proverbs 2 and, and 5 in particular and, and, and Proverbs chapter 7. So being estranged from the womb speaks of thorough, uh, thorough corruption. Um, and astray is another common word in the, in the Proverbs in the wisdom writing to speak of erring from the way of wisdom or from the, the way of truth, the way of Righteousness, and that's used a number of times. Proverbs seven twenty five, Proverbs ten seventeen, and a number of other places where that term is used. Now, the word for poison here in the fourth verse is a word that's more often translated fury or wrath. It literally means heat, and the poison of a serpent refers to the serpent's venom, uh, meaning that the wicked are destructive like that venom is deadly. Um, in a sense, you know, venom doesn't accomplish anything good. Um, it is destructive. That is the, that's the purpose. It is to kill. So this, the second line actually continues um, being like a deaf adder that stoppeth her ear. The second line also continues into verse number five, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers. In other words, he's saying the wicked are like a venomous snake that is deaf to charms, which is another wisdom imagery. In other words, the wicked will not hear reproof. They will not hear correction. They will not hear instructions. It's like they've, 
They're like a, a deadly snake that cannot be charmed. Uh, they continue on in their in their own way, obviously. So then we come to verses six to nine. And once we get to verse number six, this is where we start the prayers of imprecation. These prayers that are calling for judgment to come. So in verse six, we have the, the breaking of the prayer for the breaking of their teeth. Uh, the breaking of the teeth is an image of judgment. Um, it's it's a, a military imagery, a battle imagery that completely overcomes the enemy. In fact, we first encountered it in Psalm 3 and verse number 7. Um, the defanging of young lions obviously uh, renders them incapable um, of hurting or, or killing. Um, in verse 7, the, the image of water, water that is running and melting away is what is spoken of here. So it's, it's water that is running, like it's running into a dry place and being absorbed into the ground. So, you know, there's a stream, but then the stream essentially disappears as it, as it runs into the, is absorbed into the ground. It doesn't continue. Um, bending of the bow in an effort to work violence or even to resist um, God or, or his judgment and he, he prays that their arrows be blunted so that they will not inflict, you know, their intended damage. The image of the snail melting um, is a little bit uncertain. There's a wide variety of ideas about what is intended. Um, it seems like that it, it, it would be referring to the, the slimy trail of the snail in a sense that's like the melting away of the snail. So, as it's moving on in its line, it's sort of losing parts of itself until it's just, you know, goes out of existence. That seems to be um, the image. The untimely birth refers to a stillborn baby um, and not seeing the sun. Obviously, the only life that such a baby has is actually in the womb and never sees the light of the sun. So that reinforces um, the image and um, also can, contributes to the overall picture. In verse um, nine, um, the pots can feel the thorns. So the thorns refers to um, the bramble that would be lit under a pot for cooking or for boiling water. And so the, the prayer here is for a swift and sudden destruction. So the swiftness is, and suddenness of it is seen if, if you put a pot over the fire of the brambles that's burning, and the pot would be removed before the pot even felt the heat. So you put it over the fire and, it, and you take it off before the pot is even hot. So that's just a, that's an imagery that's, that speaks of a swift and a sudden destruction that's being prayed for. The word for whirlwind was actually used in the previous Asaph Psalm at Psalm 50. So we had the Korahite Psalms that began book number two, and then you have Psalm 50, and then you start these David Psalms. So in that Asaph Psalm in Psalm 50, this word was used when uh, the Psalm was describing God coming in judgment out of Zion with a devouring fire before him and a strong storm, a tumultuous storm wind that is all around him. That's in Psalm 50 verses two to four. And ultimately that coming will take, will take um, it's sort of an image um, like thinking of a, of a strong wind that's just going to blow or take away all of the wicked from off the earth. 
God's wrath that is referred to in verse nine, he, he comes uh, in his in his wrath. Uh, it's a word that refers to his burning anger that is typically associated with judgments like in Isaiah chapter 13, uh, verses nine and 13. All right, so then we get to verses 10 and 11 at the end of this psalm. And in these verses, we see righteousness established on the earth. So the righteous, they are, first of all, distinguished from the wicked. They will rejoice. They'll see the vengeance. They'll wash their feet in the blood of the wicked. So they are distinguished from the wicked, which is um, very common in uh, Psalm 1, verses 5 and 6. Um, later, we see such a distinction, Psalm 5, and verse 12. More recently, Psalm 52, 6, and Psalm 55, verse 22. The righteous are said that they will rejoice in God's judgment, and that's something of a, of a, of a theme that we've seen emerge. So we have a, a reference to that all the way back in Psalm 5, and verses 9 and 12, and then we come forward and, we, and we we're picking up that um, that theme and, the, and that imagery in Psalm 52, verses 6 and 7, and then it's repeated in Psalm 54, 7, then it's repeated here, then it'll be repeated again in Psalm 59, 10. So the righteous rejoicing at the destruction of the wicked speaks of the righteous being vindicated. In other words, ultimately, the wicked will not triumph over the righteous. The righteous will be vindicated, not because the righteous have broken the teeth of the enemy or that they have taken up arms or they've done any of those things, but because God has come in judgment. He has sent judgment um, out of Zion. Now, vengeance refers to God's revenging the works of the wicked. In other words, when we're talking about God and we're talking about God's vengeance, we are talking about something that is just and something that is righteous and something that is holy. It's a just judgment on them that actually vindicates God's righteousness. So his, his vengeance being executed um, shows God to be a just and righteous God, a just and righteous judge. Um, the imagery at the end of, of verse, the last line of verse 10, bathing their feet in the blood of the wicked, is essentially a, a celebration of victory. And it's an image very similar um, to Isaiah chapter 63, uh, verses 1 to 6, that, that shows um, the Messiah, the servant of Yahweh, coming from the judgment of the nations where he has trampled out, as in a wine press, the blood of his enemy so that it is um, up his garments. Uh, and there's also a reference to this in Psalm 68, verse number 23. So then verse 11, we see universal righteousness, the reward for the righteous that is mentioned there. Um, we, we've seen reference like Psalm 18, verse number 20. Um, ultimately, the righteous will prevail. And rather than the suffering of the righteous, we see the reward of the righteous. In other words, this coming has changed the earth. Now, the wicked are not triumphing. Evil is not having the upper hand. The righteous are not suffering, being afflicted and oppressed. But now they are rewarded. Um, God will make himself known on the earth. It's, it, it will be said there's a reward for the righteous 
that God is a God that judgeth in the earth. So this is very similar to um, statements we've seen, like in Psalm 2, verses 10 to 12, um, Psalm 9 and verse 8, uh, more recently in Psalm uh, 48, verses 9 to 11, Psalm 50 and verse number 6. All right, so let's go to our interpretation. <clears throat> Psalm 58 teaches the sovereign reign of God over the universe. Now, again, we've seen this hinted at with references to the earth, uh, references to the sons of Adam, um, obviously references to, to God's judgment is coming in the, a whirlwind. We've, we've seen those sort of images before. So this psalm is concerned about the sons of Adam on the earth and the way that's being corrupted on the earth. Um, we're told that they are thoroughly corrupted from the womb. And if we think back to Psalm 51, we know that David confessed that was his condition as well. Of course, the difference here being that David has repented and turned from that wickedness that he was that he came forth from the womb in. And these wicked have continued to be estranged and to go astray. So David pursued righteousness and they have not. So the rulers that he is addressing in this psalm, they pervert justice. They abuse power to destroy life. And obviously that applies very well to King Saul and using the army of Israel to hunt David down, to try to kill him. Um, Achish would have, have done the same thing. His other kings of other nations that were his enemies sought to take his life. But God is sovereign over the universe. And so this psalm shows that God will bring the, his righteous judgment to the earth. The wicked oppose, um, but they cannot withstand, and they will ultimately fall and be swept away in that day. So that brings us to the Messianic hope of Psalm number 58. And the Messianic hope of Psalm 58 is seen particularly in its prophecy of the coming day of the Lord. So verses 6 to 11 in this psalm graphically depict a decisive and universal judgment on the earth using terms and imagery that are associated with the day of the Lord in the prophets, speaking that it will be swift, it will be sudden, it will be comprehensive. So there are a number of places that speak about this eschatological, this future day of the Lord. But I do want to read a few places in particular that share a lot of terms and imagery with this description in Psalm 58. So first one will be Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13, verses 6 to 11. How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. Notice that melting imagery that was there. The, uh, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. You're going to notice 
descriptions of this day of the Lord as being a sudden and a swift judgment, something that comes upon the the um, the birth pains are a common imagery, um, not only in the prophets, but it's repeated in the New Testament, like in Matthew 24, uh, in First Thessalonians chapter number five. It's used in some of the prophets of the Old Testament. Um, it, it's an image that so if you, if you think about uh, a woman that's maybe maybe close to delivery and suddenness, you know, the, the birth pains, that suddenness that begins those those contractions. And I mean, the actual contractions of delivery, not uh, like the you know earlier pains, Braxton Hicks, whatever, those type of things. So that, it's an image of, of that that destruction comes suddenly. It comes swiftly. It comes surely. And we saw that echoed in this song. Um, they shall be amazed at one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. And notice, behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger. And there's where we see that anger, that same term that was used earlier that I mentioned. To lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. So here's an interesting connection to Psalm 58, where David says that the wicked are going to be like stillborn babies that have not seen the light of the sun. And that darkening of the sun and the moon, it's a very common imagery here and in Joel and in other places that speak about the day of the Lord as well as in the New Testament. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. All right. And the next reference will be in Isaiah 24. So in Isaiah chapter 24, verses 17 to 23, fear and the pit and the snare are upon thee, O inhabitant of the earth. And it shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit and he that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare. For the windows from one high are open, and the foundations of the earth do shake. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and shall be removed like a cottage. And the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. And after many days shall they be visited. Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. And in one more place to, to connect another couple of of terms and imagery is Isaiah 63. So Isaiah 63 verses one to six. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth in the lime fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, 
and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance, which is another reference and the same word that is used here, this vengeance that is referred to in Psalm 58, the day of the Lord, the day of vengeance, the day of God's vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation unto me and my fury, it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in my anger and make them drunk in my fury. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. So these are um, just a few references that I, I went to because especially they have several connections with the terms and imagery that are used here in Psalm number 58. So this day of the Lord will come to the earth, to the rebellious rulers, to the judges of the earth, to establish God's anointed son king on Zion as reigning over the mediated kingdom of the earth. He will rid the earth of the wicked and will rule with a rod of iron, which we saw in Psalm number two. So this psalm is prophetically looking forward to the eschatological day of the Lord. This would be the day of the Lord that comes at the end of the time of tribulation and comes before the setting up of the millennial kingdom. So that would be corresponding to what you have at the end of Revelation chapter 19, um, sometimes referred to as the Bible of Armageddon. All right. So applications for this song. Have two applications. Number one, understanding Psalm 58 helps us understand the Psalms are not about our petty personal grievances. In other words, we look at this Psalm and we know that, that David's life setting has some relevance to this Psalm but he's obviously looking well beyond his life setting and his occasion. This Psalm is about God setting all things right. It is a prayer and even a praise of God in anticipation of that day. And so though evil seems to triumph, it will not last. And the rejoicing is not one of personal vengeance, it's but of God's vengeance, God's vengeance that makes him known, that makes him great, that displays his justice and his righteousness. And you notice that the righteous in verse 10, they see it. So again, it's not a personal vengeance, but it is God's vengeance. It is the day of God's wrath. Number two, understanding Psalm 58 helps us understand that personally and practically righteousness does matter. We see um, human leaders will fail. Human rulers, governors, and kings, and presidents, and prime ministers, and senators, and, and um, uh, you know, those in, in, in the houses of lords and commons and, and on and on that we could go with that. They will fail. They will pervert justice. They will corrupt and abuse power. And they may do, do so through incompetence, 
Sometimes that's spoken about, like in the book of Ecclesiastes, it may come about through incompetence, but also a lot of times it comes through wickedness that is being worked in the heart and then violence done by the hands. So as a person living our life, we realize that human leaders will fail and human crowds, crowds of people, they will go their own way away from God's righteousness. And it does matter that we not go with them. It does matter what side you're on, so to speak.